Welcome friends, I'm Party Parslow and this is the 25th instalment of Party in China. And they said it wouldn't last. It was a brand new year in Diang and I was more or less sober. After the excessive Christmas New Year debauchery, I had a fairly quiet January and a very cold, very long, very dark January. There was one bright spot though. Juanita had agreed to let me cook her a dinner for two at my place. I was excited and wanted everything to go very well. In my mind at least, it was an opportunity to win her heart. Since I arrived, Mr Wang had kept telling me that I needed a woman to take care of me, usually when shaking his head disappointedly at my untidy apartment. He also kept suggesting we go for a walk on the big hill, which they call the mountain. Right behind the school, there's a nice big park, some temples, eateries and a pagoda. But I'd already been up there a couple of times, either with Jean or on my own. However, a few months before the Juanita date, after school one evening, he and I walked out the front gate and found two mature women lying in ambush. Mr Wong introduced me to his wife, a short, stout, cheerful lady with some English, and her best friend, Miss Xiao. So not only was it an ambush, it was also a blind date. Hooray! I anticipated an hour or two of awkwardness, but I was wrong. Awkward would have been much better. This was excruciating. Miss Xiao had no English, which is fair enough, I had no Chinese. And as we climbed the hill four abreast, me on the left, then Mr Wang, then Mrs Wang, then Miss Xiao, we men spoke to each other and the women spoke to each other. But occasionally, Mrs Wang broke the rules by calling a question out to me across her husband's chest or back. Mr Putty, do you like China? Mr Putty, do you like spicy food? Mr Putty, will you stay in Diang? Mr Putty, do you like our mountain? My answers were translated for Mrs Xiao by Mrs Wong if simple and Mr Wong if more difficult. As small talk, it was microscopic. I didn't want to encourage them by asking questions in return, but couldn't stop Mr Wong telling me that Miss Yao was an engineer who worked with Mrs Wong at the huge manufacturing plant in town and had recently divorced her husband. That was actually interesting. I hadn't yet met a divorced Chinese back then, and I thought it showed gumption. I tried to catch Mrs Yao's eye so that my smile could communicate my increased respect for her, but she wouldn't let me. Just looked down at the path the whole time, frowning. Maybe she was as embarrassed as I was. But at least looking away from me gave me a good view of her amazing hair. It was lustrous, wavy, and flowed down well past her hips. It was a welcome distraction when a stray dog trotted up to me, wagging his tail. Most dogs in China wanted nothing to do with me, which hurt my feelings. I believe it's because they don't know their dogs, having been treated their whole lives as some sort of animated fluffy toy. But this was a streetwise mutt who knew an alpha male when he saw one. So he was soon wriggling at my feet, licking my fingers and generally being adorable. 
Meanwhile, Mr. Wong was searching his considerable vocabulary for a specific English word. Oh, Mr. Potty, that dog, um... I'd found a stick and was wrestling the dog for it. Mr. Potty, that dog might, um... Now his back leg was scratching at my arm while I tickled his tummy. Oh, Mr. Potty, that dog might have, um... Miss Yao and Mrs. Wong had moved away a safe distance and were viewing my clearly insane behaviour with alarm. Mr. Wong suddenly hit upon the correct English word. Ah, Mr. Buddy, that dog might have rabies. Well, that hadn't occurred to me. We don't have rabies in Australia thanks to strict quarantine laws. Oh, a quick shout out to Johnny Depp, Pistol and Boo. But, of course, Asia is riddled with rabies, and as I'd heard that the cure involved huge, agonising abdominal injections administered even if there's just a chance you might be infected, it was farewell man's best friend. We walked on, but the dog couldn't work out why his new buddy was ignoring him. He followed along, dropped twigs at my feet, ran ahead and rolled on his back to invite a belly scratch, barked lightly to remind me of our mateship. I felt bad for him. But worse for myself, since my blind date embarrassment seemed endless. But we eventually walked down the long steps to the bottom of the mountain and Mrs Wong made Mr Wong ask me what I thought of Miss Xiao. I thought nothing at all, but answered that Miss Xiao's hair was very beautiful. Once that was translated, Miss Xiao looked me in the eye for the first and only time and put her outstretched thumb and little finger to her cheek in the international sign for call me. Why would I call her? We didn't have two words to say to each other. Might as well have phoned a panda. But I had high hopes for my date with Juanita who had agreed to come to my place for dinner. She'd already hosted Trevor and me to a couple of delicious meals. I was never invited to her place alone. Should have seen that as a sign. And I wanted to return the favour. All right, I really wanted to get her alone and in private. As I waited for payday so I could splurge on some special ingredients, Juanita changed it from dinner to lunch. I should have seen that as a sign. Of course, being payday, I became joyously inebriated that night. And when I asked Juanita, are you still coming to my place for lunch tomorrow? She did that pursed lips, one shoulder shrug French thing and said, Meh, why not? Such enthusiasm. I should have seen that as a sign. I slept in very late the next morning and barely had time to sort of clean the apartment before rushing out to Walmart, where, over several previous shopping trips, I'd located all the ingredients for a delicious lunch of spaghetti bolognese with Greek salad. Naturally, none of the ingredients was there anymore. Panicking, I rushed to the Yang Yang department store up past Wong Miao, which often stocked some Western goods, but not that day. So I ended up with Chinese noodles instead of spaghetti, frozen prawns instead of minced beef, tinned tomatoes instead of tomato paste, mushrooms, not olives, etc, etc. Yang Yang did have some Australian wine and I splashed out 200 yuan, that's like 30 bucks 
for a Barossa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. I stopped at a bakery and bought a couple of cheese sticks as well. Just made it home when Juanita arrived, over an hour early and complaining that I'd given her the wrong address. Very probably, as I didn't know my exact address. As I prepared our meal, Juanita gave herself a quick tour of the apartment, after which I wasn't sure if she was impressed with the place or angry that it was bigger than hers and rent-free. When she complained about being hungry long before lunch was ready, I split the long cheese-covered bread rolls, filled them with chopped mushrooms and plenty of New Zealand mainland tasty, and zapped them in the microwave. They were a huge success. She ate mine too. Unfortunately, that satisfied her appetite, so by the time I eventually presented the prawn and pea and mushroom in a tomato sauce on noodles, she took a single polite bite, then said she was full. When Juanita had arrived, she'd asked if I wanted her to take off her boots. In Chinese homes, you leave your footwear in the hallway. She was wearing knee-high reddish-brown leather FMBs, so I'd said no, but later regretted it as at least that would have been one item of clothing I'd managed to remove. Everything else, including her coat and scarf, remained on. She even put her gloves back on immediately after eating. I mean, I knew the flat was cold, but must have gotten used to it and not realised how freezing it really was. Still, the cold represented an opportunity. I took the quilt off my bed and covered us both as we sat on the sofa. Much warmer. Cosy, even. But she stayed dressed for an assault on Everest nonetheless, making my assault on her honour much more difficult. In desperation, I put on The Walking Dead, thinking it might scare her into my arms. But the zombies proved pure cupids, as did the expensive alcohol. I found the Aussie Red a real treat from home, but she barely sipped it. Said she preferred French ones. After an increasingly mortifying hour of stilted conversation, she announced that she had to leave to open her bar. Three hours earlier than usual. Okay, not the happy ending I had planned, but trying to find a positive aspect I still had the condom I'd stolen in Hong Kong. Still do, I think. My birthday was the 8th of the next month and seeing me wallow in a freezing February funk, Trevor and John decided to make a fuss and cheer me up. A tad concerning, as the last time they'd planned anything, I'd ended up flashing a tea party and singing I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus. But they assured me that all would be well. Two new friends also wanted to celebrate my birth. A couple of engineers called Abatne and Maria, Ethiopian and Lebanese, respectively. He seemed a decent bloke who was missing his family back home. She was very impressive, and not just because she was lovely, intelligent, multilingual and professionally accomplished. What I liked about her was she laughed at my jokes. Also, her job was to make sure the locals weren't stuffing up the construction of a nearby nuclear power plant, and I fervently wished her every success. At least until I was back in Australia, or at the very minimum upwind and outside the blast radius. Abatne recommended a restaurant called Ranko for my birthday lunch, a surprisingly clean joint overlooking quite a nice stretch of the river. The manageress had good English and wanted to practice it, so the service was very good. They didn't stock any decent beer, but she explained that the Chinese-brewed Heineken was on special, 
two for the price of one, and she'd be happy to keep the second one until my next visit if I couldn't drink two beers at lunchtime. Maria and Abatne watched her smile politely as I collapsed laughing at the thought of having only one drink on my birthday. A week or two later, when I introduced Trevor to Ranko, she brought out a Heineken for me immediately, explaining that it was my free one from last time and breathlessly telling Trevor in Sichuan Hua that I'd drunk three, three beers at a single lunch. Now I watched her smile politely as she collapsed laughing. <laughs> the pizza and pasta was good for China, great for Diang, and okay for Australia. We had a fun time, laughed a lot, and then the other two fought over the bill, and I let them. They had to head back to work, and I went to Walmart and bought some Koenig Lager. Expensive at 18 yuan a can, but what the hell, it was my birthday. On the way home, I also bought some fireworks. Roadside stalls had sprung up everywhere for the spring festival, but I chose to believe that both the crackers and the colourful street decorations were part of my birthday celebrations. Before going to dinner, Trevor presented me with a lovely gift. Lots of excellent German Schwarzbier. It was just what I wanted. How could he possibly have known? <coughs> Mr Wong then rang me. Mr Paddy, I cannot come to your birthday party tonight. Fine with me, I hadn't invited him. In retrospect, he was probably letting me know that I'd insulted him by not asking. But anyway, we went to a lovely restaurant John knew. Very traditional, with waiters dressed like the guys Bruce Lee used to beat up. Seriously Sichuan hot food. And warm rice wine served in soup bowls. John and Perry very generously gave me a Chivas Regal pack, which opened to reveal a large bottle and two minibar-sized backups. For emergencies, I suppose. It was just what I wanted. How could they possibly have known? Unexpectedly, Mr Wong arrived. And, even more unexpectedly, started hassling me about Australia being merely a puppet of the United States. With no idea what sparked the attack, I politely pointed out that as he lived in a nation which routinely deceived and manipulated its population through state-controlled media, it couldn't be his fault that he had no bloody idea what he was talking about. I also pointed out that not only had the Americans saved Australia's ass in World War II, they'd also saved China's. In fact, nearby Chengdu had hosted American bombers perilously flown over the Himalayas to provide a base from which the Japanese mainland could be regularly bombed. When he replied that he didn't think that was true, I showed him the old Chinese banknote I'd found with a US warplane on it. He then asked me to come outside. I briefly thought we were going to engage in fisticuffs. But he gave me 200 yuan in a red envelope and left. It was just what I wanted. How could he possibly have known? Next, we went to Bao's Bar, a friendly place conveniently opposite the number two hospital, in case you fell down the steep stairs, which I kept nearly doing as Bao had a huge photo of his mother on the landing. She was a singer in the Sichuan Opera, in full makeup and costume, and the huge head scared the crap out of me every time I saw it. Alerted to my birthday boy status, Bao served free shrimp and wasabi, popcorn and counterfeit Jack Daniels. Abatne and Maria joined us there and the conversation sparked up as it does when new blood enters a group of friends. 
I learned that the Ethiopian language is called Amari and is similar to Arabic, that Turkish is distantly related to Finnish and Hungarian, and that every native Lebanese of Maria's age speaks at least English, French and Arabic. She also speaks Italian and German and was working very hard to learn Mandarin and doing much better than me, as I'd still only learnt the phrases which I thought I'd need in everyday life. Sheshe, thank you. Tribuchi, sorry. Yiyuan Zai, where is the hospital? Our small party was raging along nicely, but John's phone kept ringing. Two different acquaintances wanted him to join them at a couple of different clubs. There's face to be had by exhibiting foreign friends. When he explained he was at a birthday party, the pressure built to bring everybody else along as well. A bidding war ensued with each side promising free drinks, free food, VIP treatment and more. So eventually we caught cabs to a place called either Coco or Pure Colour. There were two signs on either side of the door. Wherever we were, the doorman rushed us Westerners to the front of the lengthy queue and waved away any entry charge or need to go through the metal detector. In the lobby, I remember two things. Firstly, a large sign saying in English, no Japanese or dogs allowed. Charming. Secondly, a small woman saying in English, happy birthday party. She claimed that we'd met recently and that I'd invited her along to my celebration. She was welcome, but since I didn't know we were going to go to the club, her appearance there was somewhat perplexing. The sudden appearance of a chihuahua from within a handbag was even more perplexing. She might have had a Japanese in there too, for all I know. She accompanied me to the cloakroom, and when I'd checked my bag of birthday presents, she zipped up her handbag until only the dog's head could stick out, and then checked her chihuahua as well. The winning bidders for our illustrious presence made an appallingly huge fuss. I shook hundreds of hands with strangers, posed for dozens of photos with strangers, and drank who knows how many gambais with strangers. Our hosts had made up jugs of cocktails which tasted how a margarita might taste if you had to guess how to make one. I danced with Maria a lot, as well as lots of Chinese women but only until their friend got a good photo or video, then they'd leave me to it. But generally, everybody was paying me a lot of attention, and if I noticed anyone who wasn't, I'd go over and drop one of my newly purchased fireworks into their tabletop candle. Then they'd notice me. Now that I was an old China hand, I knew that just as sunrise in Sichuan often brought a thick grey mist, so seeing the sunrise with John brought a thick, blurry head. On this freezing dawn, I recall sitting on low wooden stools, so tiny I required one for each buttock, eating street barbecue washed down with a bottle of scotch I'd picked up in the club. Well, they told me to help myself. And finding it so difficult to stand up, it seemed simpler and more sensible to fall backwards into the street, roll into the gutter, and climb a nearby roadside pole until I was upright. It was a loud, crazy, fun birthday night. And when I awoke, I found I was not alone. One of the tiny bottles of shivers was on the other pillow. Apparently my drunken self had anticipated my hungover self's need for a hair of the dog. 
It was just what I wanted. How could I possibly have known? In our next episode, I rediscover my zeal for teaching, judge an English competition in another city, and go moonlighting as a voiceover guy. <coughs> I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening to Party in China. <coughs> me, <coughs> me. Ah, I have my voice back. And I want to have my brain back. This is now officially the end of the first series of Party in China. 25 eps in all. And we're going to uh, put them all together, make it into an audio book. It's going to have more jokes, more information. I'm going to put the dirty words back in. So it'll be filthier, it'll be funnier, and it'll be more informative. That's the audio book, Party in China Part 1, coming your way for Christmas. Series 2 will be here, ready for you, in, uh, let's say, a month. So we'll see you then. Cheers. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.